Today, we are talking about the exploitation of children on social media and specifically the impact it has on kids in care. Join us today on Fostering the Future. Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat. believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. This is Jack, and I am here with Kat, and we wanted to chat a little bit today about children on social media, foster children on social media, and just the whole balance and nuances of, of when that becomes exploitation of children to post them on your social media, especially where it pertains to kids mm-hmm. in foster care. I feel like this is kind of a new topic lately because right around now we have kids who have grown up on the internet reaching the age of adulthood and speaking out about what it's like to grow up on camera. It's crossed my mind, but I haven't thought much about until some recent things have taken place. One is our Brittany Dawn episode and how unfair it is to that baby to be exploited for money. But I have seen in the news and in other places, you know, just in like even pop culture, like John and Kate plus eight and their kids have reached 18 and they've started speaking out about how difficult the show was for their family and how damaging it was. Um, I know earlier you mentioned Little People, Big Worlds. Yep. One of those kids who didn't want to be on camera anymore. And I think those are things like, you know, social media and those reality TV shows like 19 Kids and Counting, The Duggars. You know, social media was kind of exploding around that same time. And I don't think many people stopped and questioned the impact it has on kids. The reason that we want to talk about it today specifically is because it takes it to another level when you're a foster family and you're doing that. And there are several foster families that are doing that and they're making an income. If you think about it, they're kind of making an income on the backs of their foster kids. Right. I just have a lot of questions like, where is the line that makes it not okay? What are the red flags that someone would do this? And what should the rules be? And, you know, I think probably most adults would agree that there should be laws to protect children, but they're not there yet. You know, when we were kids, certainly social media wasn't a thing. And also the other thing that wasn't a thing was reality TV, mm-hmm. right? So when you and I were kids, the child stars were like Drew Barrymore, mm-hmm. right? People like Classic. that. And um, who, were, who were those boys, the two boys that had the same names? Oh, Corey Feldman and Cor- so River Phoenix, Corey Feldman and Corey. Yes. There's another Corey. Yes, the Coreys. Those humans grew up as kids 
on camera and spoke profusely as they aged about how it affected them to be in the spotlight and how most of them turned to drugs, right? Mm-hmm. Corey Haim, by the way. Yes. Corey Haim, Corey Feldman. But also Tori Spelling. Yeah. Like, there's so many people that were, like, these child stars growing up in Hollywood in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them have told stories about having to turn to drugs because the pressures were so high. They were in some type of spotlight as a child and were supporting their family financially and how growing up that way affected them. Moving a few years later, it became reality TV. Little People, Big World, The Duggars, Kate and... All of those shows mm-hmm. that it involved a family with small children. Mm-hmm. Maybe they asked their kids if they wanted to do it, but even if their kids were consenting, how much did they understand what they were yeah. consenting Can to? Can they really consent when they're that young? Because what they're consenting to is a forever digital footprint. Right. And maybe we didn't know that 20 years ago. Like I know when I first started posting pictures of my now 15 year olds. I posted all kinds of stuff and later went back and took a bunch of it down because I was thinking that child might have a partner someday who looks at my Facebook and they don't want to see pictures of him potty training, you know? Right. I never posted pictures of him naked, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Like people don't want to see that stuff. And something recently just happened with another one of my kids. One of their friends got on my YouTube and saw baby videos of that child and he felt kind of taken advantage of like mom can you make that private of course I can and of course I did right but like I I felt terrible because and this is sad to say I think when we have kids we feel like they belong to us yeah that's not true right they're their own people who right. should be able to consent to. And I'm ashamed to say that. That's probably how I looked at it. Like, this Well, is- and I think because you love them so much, you feel like they're a part of you. Yeah. And like that you're the person who makes all of their decisions, but also they are their own human. Uh-huh. And the decisions that you make that will affect them for the rest of their life. At some point, they need to have a consent to it. Yeah. At some point, you have to understand there's certain things we shouldn't do just because they're not able to consent to mm-hmm. it. And we shouldn't make that decision for them. I do find it interesting how it like has kind of evolved this whole and there's a balance of whether it's child exploitation or not but how that previously existed in Hollywood Mm -hmm. which switched to more reality TV Uh type shows with the family which is now really social media I feel like we just keep changing mediums and still not getting the point that we need to protect these babies from the world and from having to feel like they don't have privacy and right now there is no law that protects children and their earnings when it comes to social media. I did see that there's a new California law that demands that 15% of a child's earning if they are a child actor immediately goes into a trust for the child and the employer has to set it up. I think that we're getting started, you know, but But we're getting started now on what affected people when we were kids. Right. Where is the protection for the kids these days? How do you even create laws around like how do you force a social media program that provides funds in some way or sometimes it's like the payments come in the form of sponsorships and and that's really handled at the much more local level how do you force them to do that and I don't know the answer to that like I know that there are child labor laws and kids can only work up a certain amount of up to a certain amount of time. And there was a recent Teen Vogue article where a girl was interviewed and it was so sad. And she talked about how, like, basically she lived with her boss because her dad was her boss. Right. And 
like home, this is just my opinion, but home should be safe. Home should be a, a safe place to fall. Like if you are sick, if you're having a bad day, if whatever, home should be a place where you can just go and be yourself and take the mask off if you need to. So this individual that was interviewed in Teen Vogue, who they use a fake name, so we don't know who it is, but she assures the writer that if you Google her real name, you'll find pictures of her videos from her back from when she was a toddler. And she talks about how her family left their parents both left their jobs when the revenue from YouTube started to come in and they were able to get a nicer house and nicer car. And she was quoted as saying, that's not fair that I have to support everyone. She said, I try not to be resentful, but I kind of am. She said that once she told her dad she didn't want to do it anymore. And he told her that they would have to move out of their nice house and that both parents would have to go back to work, leaving no money for nice things. So basically what she's saying, yeah, she's not even 18. But what she's saying now is that it's so much pressure and that when she turns 18 and she can move out on her own, that she's considering going no contact with her parents. I know that probably sounds extreme, but I can see it because there's no place to be safe if your parents aren't safe. Right. Then where can you be safe? And I think that that's similar to what happened with one of the children on Little People Big World. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, no one knows what's going on in someone else's house. But I'm pretty sure I read something that he had written that said he had to take space from his family because he didn't like the position that he was put in. And just needed to get away from that. Yeah. I think the times of my life where I felt least confident, least feeling safe is when I felt like my parents weren't my safe space. Yeah. Right. As you're growing up, even especially in your 20s and even into your 30s, like that safe space still largely comes from your parents mm-hmm. and when you feel like they're not your safe space it's really hard to define that feeling of safety yeah that's like a great example because I feel like a lot of people in our age group and older sometimes younger our parents some of them are experiencing some difficulties like dementia and um, like I lost someone important to me that was like a parent a few years ago. And I feel like when that happens, you kind of lose your anchor for a little while. And we need those anchors in our life to help keep us stable. And until you can re-anchor yourself, it's very destabilizing. You went with me recently uh, sailing with my dad, Mm -hmm. right? But one of the things that I really appreciate is how sailing has so much symbolism to like life. And I think I was even telling you this when we were out sailing with my dad recently. When I was a kid, there was the couch in the main salon, which Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that couch in the living room that I was sleeping on. If I was anxious, this is where I would go. I would go into the main salon. I would lay there with my blankie and suck in my thumb and stare at my dad. And I felt like as long as I had my eyes on him, I would know whether we were okay. Mm -hmm. And if he started getting upset about something, and now as an adult, I'm like, man, like sometimes you're an adult, you just get upset about it. It didn't mean like our lives were in danger. But as a kid, like if my dad got like riled up or we ran aground, as you got to experience with us Mm -hmm. recently, when his face changed, that's how I told myself whether I was going to be okay or not. And as long as he was like happy and smiling, I felt like everything in my world was okay. And to me, that's like such a symbolism for in my life, like how I have looked to him for um, that feeling of safety. Totally a safe place to fall with your dad. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny looking back because like, I know your dad was probably a little older when you were born, but my parents were like 24. Oh my gosh. And I look back and I'm like, (laughs) no wonder they like lost their minds every now and then. Well, and also like I felt safety with a 24 year Like they were kids. Like, and I'm like almost double that age. I mean, not quite, but like, oh my gosh. So it's funny looking back, but that's everybody should have a home or a place to go where they feel safe. And for kids, that is home with their parents. And that's such a great example. But I feel like it would be challenging 
if you are the child of an influencer who is using you for content. It obviously takes it to a different level when your family that you're living with is not your legal family, Mm -hmm. but that it is your foster family and they make their income Mm -hmm. by being influencers and creating content. And that content includes you. Yeah. Every state has different laws. Every agency has different rules. There are some states where you can't post anything, any type of pictures or anything, even on a private social network. In Florida, it's under the normalcy, Mm -hmm. which is you don't want to like hide this kid like they're not your kid. You don't want to make them feel different from the other kids. But also you don't identify them as their foster kid. You don't give any identifying information about them. And you certainly don't do it publicly. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that's like a good thing to bring up because kind of like what I keep thinking is where's the line because I definitely post about my kids like at least once or twice a month like I'll post some picture of something like your daughter being the life of the party (laughs) (laughs) like her college years are gonna be terrifying (laughs) but um, they're not public usually every now and then I'm like oh shoot that was public and they certainly like those posts I feel strongly should not ever be about what's going on in their life actually like I'm not going to post about uh like I said potty training it's a girl who she gave some testimony for I think the state legislature about creating laws that protect children and she talked about how her first period was in a YouTube video with her mom wow and you know that makes me think of other things too like and I'm not saying that I know what the line is I think I told you earlier like I don't want someone taking a picture of me while I'm sleeping and posting it to Facebook yeah we've all done that with our kids we have yeah and so my kids Well, they've been asking me for like, this is why I don't post quite so much. If I take a picture before I take it, they'll be like, wait, are you going to post that? So they want to have some autonomy and some control, which, you know, it's the same reason why kids are like picky eaters and won't go to sleep. You know, I feel like and I want you to like give me your input, too. I feel like pictures or videos of kids like having a fit or crying would be maybe over the line unless it's like an infant I think something that makes your child embarrassed yeah um I think something that makes them feel like their privacy has been invaded certainly I would not want someone talking about my first period on on their social media like that's incredibly invasive um regardless of you know any type of consent at that Mm -hmm. age like and that's the other thing like I just don't understand even at the age where they can maybe understand a little bit of about the consent and they can certainly agree to it verbally their brain is not developed to understand the consequences of giving that consent yeah it's kind of like giving sexual consent even if a 14 year old wants to have sex they're not of age to consent right you know it's like i feel like it's a similar thing and and then you have to consider like what are the underlying reasons for the consent being given if Mm -hmm. it's given right Right. like are they giving consent because they know that they'll have fancier things if their parents have more money are they giving consent because they want to go on a YouTube and teach people about things. I feel like that's a little different than just using their personal private life as a platform to raise money and sell things. Right. Like allowing your whole childhood to be overshadowed by social media content. Everybody's on social media. We're on social media. I try to keep anything that has pictures of my children on my private social medias and then if my kids are on any of my public social medias it will be like the back of them or you can't necessarily see their face or it's a video where like you can't necessarily identify them it's one thing to be like this is my child yeah this is my child i'm on the birth certificate this is my child they make me money yeah 
like they're like a commodity, right? Yeah. But it's uh, it takes it to a whole another level when this is not. I mean, this is someone else's child in my house that has gone through trauma because any child who's been in foster care has been through trauma, Mm -hmm. if just by the removal, you know what I mean? And so then we're going to take a traumatized child and put them in the public eye for what? And in their home. So like the home is supposed to be a safe place where you can learn and grow and have bad days. Don't all the experts say that kids will misbehave where they feel safe, right? Yeah. This is supposed to be the safe place. All of that is overshadowed by social media. And I think that lends to other people too. Like we were talking about a well-known foster family that posts regularly and, and their income, I think at least for one person, comes from TikTok. And she posted recently the biological parent doing a dance with the child and her. She's the adoptive parent. And it might have been completely consensual. It might have been the biological mom's idea. But my first thought was was there like some... Did um, someone feel pressure to do yeah. it because of the position right. they're in? Because there is a total different... Like there's a power dynamic that you can't right. deny. I'm sure she wants to be involved. There's so many possibilities for what could have driven that, right? They might just want to encourage more people to co-parent with biological parents, etc. Cetera, et cetera, which is a great thing. Listen, we're on a podcast with one of the biological parents of yep. my previous Absolutely, foster kids. Yeah. We don't make a penny off our podcast, to be clear. So there's there's no financial gain. It's all money spent on snacks. (laughs) All money spent on snacks and babysitters. I've had other parents of my foster children ask to do episodes with me. And I always tell them once the children are home and reunified and their case is closed, if they wanted to come on the podcast, that I'd love for them too. But I think that while their kids are in my home, that it wouldn't necessarily be appropriate. And also, so I just, you know, want to protect everybody yeah. and, and all that. Um, that makes sense. There's an influencer that's on TikTok, and I'll say this really fast. Her name is Bobby, and I think most people, if they've been on TikTok, they've seen her. She's the one that has Richard and Concrete. That's what she calls her kids. Those are not her kids' names. She's talked about this recently because she just stopped showing her kids' faces. And what she said was, she was reading through the comments, and the comments were terrible, and they were mean and ugly. And she was saying, as an adult, these are really hard for me to read, and these are my children, and I'm subjecting them to this. And she talked about how she wants her kids to have the opportunity to write their own story and it's not her kids job to entertain people they, they should have a blank slate to enter the world with and I completely agree with that they should be able to choose their own digital footprint having a baby is not a career opportunity adopting a child or fostering a child is not a career opportunity you know and she's not a foster parent but I thought she had some really good things to say about how you know we can go back like I don't even know how many years ago because I'm dumb about history but you know when kids were you know the reason kids get out of school for the summer is so they can work on their parents farms you know and kids used to like leave school in sixth grade you know people used to have children for labor I remember when I was a kid <laughs> and my dad would like be like hey can you go get that for me and I'd be like that's not my job and he'd be like why do you think I had kids or, like we'd do the dishes and we'd always be like why do we have to do the dishes and they're like that's why we had you you know obviously he was joking but go back a few years and that's legit yeah families were like a business and the more kids you had the more you could generate wealth. And so it's almost like that again with social right. media. With so, I mean, obviously not anybody can just like start a YouTube and be an influencer. In a lot of other countries, they monetize their children with dowries, right? When you go to orphanages, there are often many more boys than girls. And in this particular area, a girl would be considered more desirable because oh. you will receive a dowry yeah. when you can marry them off. And in these other countries, 
countries, they can be married off much younger. So if you take care of them for a certain amount of years, then at some point you will reap some financial benefits, whether that's cows, chickens, big bags of rice. So that's kind of how children are monetized. And it's also a little sad because that's why the boys are in the orphanages at a higher rate. That makes sense. That's really sad. And there are definitely kids and families who have important roles who kind of work in the family and they do things like you were talking about the dishes. Like I did the dishes every other night. My brother and I took turns. Yes, we did. And and I was like an interpreter for my family. Like I had a lot of responsibilities. My kids do not have those responsibilities. Those things, they happen. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things, but I do think we need to kind of identify the line between exploitation and just being part of a family. And that's one of the, sometimes my son will be like, you know, it's not fair that I have to do things. And it's like, well, you know, you basically just spent three days playing video games and like Mm -hmm. eating six meals a day. I'm just asking you to take the trash out. And I don't think that's too much to ask at almost 13 years old. But, you know, there's this line of like, how much is too much? How much is too little? You want to teach your children responsibility. I know somebody who was a grown person. The parent just did everything for this human, you know, at the ripe old age of 25, 30 years old, had the expectation of having everything done for them. Uh I just never want my kids to be like that. Like, I want to serve my kids. I want to love on them. I want them to feel like like when I make them dinner or when I do something for them or when I go in their room and organize stuff for them or clean their house or build a bed out of wood for them. I want them to feel my love through that. But also I want them to be able to do it for themselves so that when they get older, they're not incapable. Uh But but then where's the love? of having them do too much or having it be exploitation of a family. I mean, I think that is when money is brought into the equation, right? I think so too. And like everybody should have the opportunity to have like a full cup and fulfillment every day, right? right? There are a few people I want to like discuss if that's okay. Yeah, let's okay. do it. So I just want to put this out there. There's there's one, and I mentioned this person earlier. I don't have their full name, but I wouldn't share anyway. It's someone who's been sharing on TikTok about her experiences as a child of an influencer, a different person than the teen Vogue person. This person talked about how she's been on social media her entire life, which is crazy that someone can be an adult. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but anyway, so she said a few things happened that were really scary for her. One was that she was riding her bike and when she got home, she got a, a private DM from someone who said that they saw her riding her bike and that they'd followed her home. Oh, wow. Yeah. People are crazy. Another time she had a car accident and instead of like receiving like help from EMTs and firefighters she had a camera in her face videoing. She said her period was detailed online when she was only nine years old. Some other health issues were just overly exaggerated. She talks about how it's really unfair to have this digital footprint that you did not create. And I think about all the things in my childhood that I would not want to share with someone that my parents wouldn't feel any shame about, you know, thank God social media wasn't around then. Yeah. And there are a few other people. So this one disturbs me the most. There's a little girl on TikTok. She's three years old. Her mom is a stay-at-home mom, but a single mom too. And her mom has been very clear. This is how I make my income. I'm a single mom. The reason Ren is in the news so much is because she'll have like 250,000 likes and like 50,000 saves on her videos. This kind of takes it to another level that a lot of people that are commenting on the videos, they are collectors of other children's videos. And so there's a safety issue. Yeah. There's a safety issue. So there's nothing that we can do about this mother who's posting these pictures online. This child is one of the reasons that I've been not posting my kids to Facebook as much or to Instagram because I'm so disturbed that that there are people out there that search the net for images of children and videos of children and then they save them for their own personal use. 
Yeah. That's disturbing, right? So it just adds another element to the child. Well, and you never know. I know this one woman who just found out that her husband has been doing these horrible things to her kids for years. Oh my gosh. And, and she lived with this person. She was married to this person. So to know that someone that could be close to you and be totally not what you think they are. Right. To expect to have an understanding of the safety level of all of the people exactly. on your Facebook. Do you really trust all these Private people? or not. Like, this is kind of new territory a little yeah. bit. And like, we got to keep our kids safe and but then on the on the other side of things it's like back in the day people would show physical pictures of their kids all the time right like you would go somewhere and there would be pictures all over someone's wall what you do now is you post it online and that's kind of how we connect with each other yeah because we don't connect with each other in the same ways that we used to it's all on the internet but in doing that we have to consider how that makes our children vulnerable yeah so that kind of is like a different dynamic but i i wanted to talk about that before i brought up a foster family that's, and I mentioned them briefly earlier, but a foster family that's on TikTok that I know you know about. Yeah. And they have over 10 kids and they have a huge presence and they make, you know, like something like $25,000 a month from their TikTok. So it transformed their lives. It would transform anybody's lives, I think. I have a really hard time with this one because I like them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like they're pretty likable. I certainly don't know them and I certainly don't stalk their page. Right. I mean, from looking at their social, they look like a pretty awesome family. Like, they really love on their kids. They seem to take incredible care of them. But also... There's 12 kids. Are they all able to... There's no way all those kids want to do it. So yeah. there's a lot of videos of like, you know, lining them up, having them answer questions, lots of dancing videos. Her content is enjoyable. Yeah. It is. And there's a, there's also a ton... I mean, I'm going to be honest. I really like her um, meal prep videos. Yeah. They're fun. Like, I think it's just fun to watch. Yeah. Like, she's got like... But a... she like goes down, man. Like, yeah. you remember those videos of like somebody watching someone make this perfect like bento lunch for their kids yeah. and they're like throwing... A slap of peanut butter. Um, like, yeah. not even that, but like, what are those little Lunchables? Lunchables. Lunchables yeah. cookies, dumping, like oh putting gosh. in there. I don't think I'm that bad, but I, yeah. I am no Martha Stewart when it comes to lunch prepping. Yeah, I I really like watching her videos. Now, I know I've sent them to you before and been like, is this realistic? Because I've never had anywhere near as many kids as she has, yeah. but you have. Well, the meal prep or the shopping? I think I sent you the shopping. Right. Because it so just I, seemed like... To me, I mean, unless she was shopping for a month, my kids eat, man. I know they do. My kids eat. I've never had 12 kids. The most I've ever had was 10. Usually I have eight kids. I think there was a period of time that I had nine or 10, but that's because of uh, the situation with the girls coming back yeah. into care. That wasn't on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would not have planned for that at all. I have had very few kids that aren't big eaters as we know i don't know like, like a 98th percentile yeah. <laughs> like if you want a kid to gain some weight bring them to my house mm-hmm. like none of my kids are overweight no. like my big kids but my like i can fill a baby out like nobody's business yeah. i've got two babies now that were both at the doctor on friday and they were both 98th percentile yeah. on weight and i was really proud of that because they didn't start out 98th oh. percentile but all my kids are big eaters like they love to eat i try and make like really big breakfast any day that we're like all yeah, home really together. When I'm making breakfast like that, those probably look very similar to her meal prep. But when I saw like her grocery shopping, I'm like, dude, we eat a lot and we, I have never gotten, and I've had situations where I had like multiple teens in the house and I never filled three grocery yeah. shopping carts in one run. I just felt like the grocery shopping was unrealistic because I remember those days when we had 10 kids. The videos with the kids, it's like a yellow flag. Like when I see them, I'm like, oh, they're so cute, but maybe I shouldn't know. 
yeah. about them, um, especially the ones that are fosters. And I know things are different in every state. Do you know what state they're in? I don't remember. I don't think I would ever feel comfortable posting a foster child video or face on a public medium. Yeah. That isn't private. Like I put my foster kids all over my Facebook that's private that only my friends can see yeah. because they're part of our family. And when yeah. we go do stuff, like they're with us. To go to like TikTok or a public Instagram account and post your foster kids. And, and I feel uncomfortable with it and I don't monetize any of that. Yeah, no, it... On this particular TikTok, it's like the Von Trapps, you know what I mean? Like the yeah. singers and the matching clothes, you know, where they're like singing for people. But it does get a little bit more concerning is probably what I mean. Like, yeah. I have concerns. So they will like line up in matching clothes and they'll do their little like, you know, my name is whatever and I am whatever. What I definitely think is cross the line. And I do think the lining up has, is crossing the line. And I also, just as a side note, I do think when you know better, you do better. If she went back today and was like, this probably isn't appropriate, I should delete Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Like, but she has posted some videos and I did notice it's been a little while, but she's posted some videos about her kids sharing the reasons they came into care, sharing their medical information, sharing like intimate details. These are very specifically outlined as do not do's when you're a foster parent. Their story does not belong to anybody but themselves. You're a part of it, but it only belongs to them. Well, especially their health information. That's incredibly personal. I feel like people are a lot better about this now, but I know like in my early days in child welfare, I'd hear people talking about the case openly with the kids in their room, like that mom, blah, 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 that, that. And this is when I was like a baby caseworker and didn't really... Yeah. have a voice you know and I wish I could go back in time and speak up but sadly I didn't you yeah. know but I don't feel like people do that as often I feel like they share more privately like I feel like with this family in particular who I don't feel comfortable naming yeah because we kind of like them oh, I, I do like <laughs> <laughs> my biggest issue is probably sharing their medical information and the reasons they're in care is definitely yep. like that's so inappropriate yeah for me the monetization feels icky it does feel icky yeah your home should be a safe place I know I keep saying that your home should be a safe place and I feel like if your kid is monetized and you have a camera in their face yeah I feel like there need to be some firm guidelines and they're just not there having your information be out to the public is trauma yeah you know like I have my own past and my own stuff and I don't share pieces of my personal life unless I want to and I'm luckily have option to not share if I don't want to but these kids don't have that option all their information's out there and I'll say this especially because my mom does not listen to my podcast but one of my mom's favorite things to do when I was younger was to tell her friends embarrassing stories about me some of the most memorable moments in my life were when I was wanting to shrink into a couch and also because she would mix up stories between me and my sister whoever was there it was like whoever was in front of her or maybe she would pick the one who wasn't in front of her that's the one who did it I just remember feeling mortified and she felt like this is my closest friend like it's okay I can tell her and to me it's like but she's not my closest friend And, and that's the closest that I can relate to this because there wasn't social media at the time that I was little my parents never put me exploited me or put me in a position in that way just remember feeling very normal kid things to do that were embarrassing Mm -hmm. to be shared with someone that I didn't feel safe with necessarily that's a great example like I had some similar things that happened to me not necessarily stories but that could be a lack of 
like language in my home right. but I do remember my mom laughing at me quite a bit like with her friends yeah so, like I would do something and then her, and I think this is cultural but yeah. they would all laugh at me one of my, my mom's friends was like Rose needs to put on pants I think I was like just at the cusp of being at the age I was wearing yeah. like a big t-shirt I don't remember exactly what happened but my mom kind of pointed it out and it was like them against me and I just felt so like vulnerable and unsafe yeah. and ashamed you know yeah. and I think that's really what we're talking about ultimately I mean kids grow and thrive in a place where they don't feel ashamed and they do feel safe and I've definitely not been a perfect parent and I'm sitting here thinking about the times where like my son has said to me oh don't like I wish yeah. you hadn't said to your yes. friend that that's happened so, to me too so it's definitely something that we can all learn from and I'm sure we all screw up we just get better We're because just to get better. we recognize that we suck yeah my kids have said the same less. thing to me however one of my like baselines is like I remember I did I never wanted my mom to know who I had a crush on ever right ever and once she found a note and she's like, I saw this note and she wanted to talk about it. And I was like, no, not a chance. And looking back, I'm like, you're not safe. Now, my mom is wonderful, gregarious. Right. Kind. She's like one of the kindest people you would ever meet. <laughs> but I, I, you know, that's like the culture and the times. And not that you didn't feel safe with her or that you did or that you didn't, but that you didn't feel safe being vulnerable in that way with yeah. her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I try really hard for my kids to feel like I'm a safe person to share their crushes with or their vulnerable things doesn't happen yeah. always but when it does I'm like silently cheering because awesome. I want to be a safe person but they said the same thing to me before my kids have been like you tell your friend stuff in front of us and that's embarrassing yeah so I've been trying and I think like for me because my my mom did it in such extreme ways that I'm like oh I'm nothing like that but then if I'm saying anything at all that makes you feel a certain type of way that I said it then I should work on that yeah I remember the only time I ever talked to my mom about a boy I was probably too young to have a crush or whatever right there's never too young <laughs> I was probably in elementary school and I told my mom I had a crush on a boy and her response was, it's okay, you'll get over it. I was probably like in second grade and I still remember hearing that in my head. That's okay, you'll get over it. Like, of course I'll get over it. I was in like second grade, but also like it was so dismissive. I'm telling you something that I feel like is yeah. important in my life right now and I want to see if you're a safe person to share this yeah. with. And she basically told me that I'm not important enough to have something important to talk yeah. about. And that was second grade I've never had a conversation since with my mom about any boy that I dated or had a crush on or whatever she's had conversations with me but I never tell her anything and that's why when she found out I was getting married she was so surprised because she didn't know anything about our relationship oh my gosh because, I didn't know that like she knew I was dating him but she didn't know how serious we were I don't talk to her about that ever yeah. because when I was in second grade she said that's okay you'll get over it yeah as an adult duh I was gonna get over it but it was just so dismissive that yeah. I just never felt that that was a safe place to talk yeah about that and my parents were very similar in the same way like it was never um like oh that's so exciting yeah. tell me about this person it was but I'm sh I'm certain that it's because they were generation the baby boomers and their yeah. parents were depression era and it was a different time and right. i totally i'm not like faulting them i i understand but i also don't want my well, kids I'm faulting to my the mom. same like she shouldn't have said that <laughs> me too to be honest um but um i think that maybe that's why i'm always like oh tell me do you have a crush with with jack jr and he's like oh come on man leave me alone but i want him to know i care about those yes. things yes oh, my i like big time screwed up when my daughter was in kindergarten and i brought up the name of her crush in front of her cousins and her oh, aunt no. and you know, I will admit, she was five. To me, she seemed like 
she belonged to me. Yeah. And I'm so like ashamed of that now because she's very much her own person and has been since birth. Oh, and it she wasn't, is her own yeah. person. <laughs> yeah. I honestly didn't even know what I did wrong, but she brought it up and so did my son. He's like, I heard that you did oh, that wow. and that wasn't okay. And it wasn't okay. Yeah. And so all this time I've been trying to make up for because she still brings it up. She's still like, you know, you know. Of course she does. Um, half her life ago. One of my kids recently did tell me about a crush and I was like, handle it right. Handle, handle it right. right. Handle it right. <laughs> um, I hope I did because I remember what it feels like Let's with her. All right. We're just, we just need to do better. Yeah. We don't we have, have to, to be perfect. No, we just have we to do so good enough. This is circle of security. Good enough. Yeah. And that's what I tell my oldest about turning in his work when he's like it's too overwhelming I'm like you don't have to do it right <laughs> just turn it in but let me tell you you have to understand that it takes a level of just desperation to get to that point yeah. like I'd rather you just turn in something yeah please yeah. for the love of God turn write a recipe on your homework <laughs> just turn it in but anyway I, I do think we're doing better I think we're in a different place but I do think some of our parents decisions that they made in parenting was a result of being raised by depression era parents right. which is like obvious it's not like i'm not like a rocket scientist it's like let me share my wisdom with you but yeah so like i can give them some grace for that it's interesting how many generations you have to get past that yeah because when you live in like listen we live through covid right which yeah. is nothing like world war ii but felt like it for yeah. us for our generation and think about that we were in survival mode yeah right and things have not totally gone back to how they were before and may never will the world is really different it is and so it, and if that's so small on the grand scheme yeah. of things compared to world war ii where our parents were raised from parents in yeah. the middle of that we're still trying to like get out of that survival mode parenting yeah and grow and like try and create more mentally healthy individuals which is really a struggle after COVID and COVID's probably going to affect us all our lives like I was doing some research on food instability I might have sent you what I found but it was cool. I think I did it was talking about how anybody who's had food insecurity in their life they're gonna have like generally they're gonna like show signs of it even adults adults overshop for groceries if they've had right. food insecurity in their life and like all this depression era I mean, they'd be like centurions now. Like my yeah. grandmother was raised during the depression. She would be 102, you know? You know, a lot of them had like food issues and like constantly keeping the pantries stocked. I know I babysat for a woman who lived across the street from us and she was a foster kid and she had so much food in her house. Of course, I was like 14 and didn't know. Right. You know? She had so she would, she had enough money to buy food, but she also went to food pantries. Like she right. collected food. You know, the way the depression impacted our grandparents and the way like World War II impacted our parents' birth. I think I didn't realize until recently how much like the internet has impacted parenting. Oh yeah. And it goes right back to like, what is a child's place on the internet? And what is your place? I mean, probably not making money for you. Yeah. I think that like follow-up conversations are necessary about like what is the line where do you draw the line like what is okay and when is exploitation abuse because children should have the opportunity to write their own story and they should have the opportunity to feel safe at home all the time and I don't want anybody taking a picture of me sleeping (laughs) (laughs) I definitely do not (laughs) there's a there's some tiktokers that I follow two men they just had twins via surrogate and I like love them I'm obsessed with their channel and one of them posted the other day and he's like the most life-changing thing happened for us as parents we never dreamed this would happen he's like my husband is bawling right now and he pans to his husband and his husband has his head in his hands and he looks up and he's like turn the camera off and I felt like really bad for his husband you know what I mean he's crying you know so it's not just kids and the bottom line is we don't um we're not in charge of other people we don't own other people however 
you know, like when people talk about how you shouldn't take pictures of people out in public, right? And then there are people that come back with that and they say, if you're out in public, you're kind of going to be game. on camera, you're fair yeah. game. That thought occurred to me too, as we were talking, like how much of this is just fair game? There's got to be a line. Yeah. So we got to figure out what the lines are. And, and it might be custom per situation, but I definitely feel like when money's involved, yeah. it shouldn't bring the kids into the equation and sharing health, medical information and foster placement status is also inappropriate. Yeah. And I feel like a foster child should never be on a public platform. There you go. Like private, fine, great, normalcy. It's not hard to find information when you want it. That is something we have discovered recently. Have you heard of mom.uncharted? Yes. Okay, so she's um, been calling out influencers, asking kids as young as one whether they agree to be filmed and put on the internet. So she's out there doing the good work. She's doing the Lord's work. Well, I'm really like impressed with people who have like come to these realizations so early because honestly these are kind of new realizations for me i did stop posting my kids so much on social media when they started verbalizing that they didn't want to be on social media as much you know like if they would say i don't put this on social media or i don't want my picture on social media but also i started thinking like look if i want information i'm gonna find it i'm gonna go to your mom's facebook your dad's facebook your grandpa's right. facebook i'm gonna go through your whole friends you know what i mean i started you know that's when i started thinking like if they have employers someday if they have boyfriends or girlfriends someday i don't want them to find out personal things about them on my page. Have you heard about what they're doing in France? No. Okay, so France is apparently the only country in the world with regulations really? as far as um, co- social media content with children in it. They started a bill called, I might not be pronouncing this right, the Studer Bill, uh-huh. which is now taking effect in France, will mean that parents must apply for authorization before their child is allowed to appear in any monetized content and that money will be locked away in an account we need to do that that's like much more responsible yeah like as soon as money comes into the equation yeah that is child labor yeah. and there should be regulations around and you know that. what like i know a lot of us do work at home but like you are asking a developing child to work where they rest and but not even just work, but like use their life yeah, as content. content. You are yeah. entertainment for the world. Yeah. And that's not fair. It's a long road from like the days when we were kids where parents would have their kids come in and like do piano thing yeah. or whatever for their friends to show off. Yeah. Like now it's like, you know, let me video you. I'm yeah. going to put it on the Internet. I'm going to make some money. So, yeah, the studer bill should be something that the U.S. is also considering. I do think it's coming, you know, because of some of the recent like legislation, like in California and stuff. But I don't know when it's going to be here. And definitely as foster parents and people who... There should be no authorization for foster parents to do any monetization. Because with like the whole Brittany Dawn thing, people were asking a lot of really good questions. Like the money you make on this child is going to the child, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's so cute. Is the money, you're right, I know. <laughs> Do you not understand this is a scam artist? Well, to summarize, we've got in France the Studer Bill, which requires parents to apply for permission if their child is going to appear in anything that is monetized and that that is something that is monitored. Mm-hmm. That's something that we should probably be doing here. If your child in your home that is appearing on content is in foster care, they should not be put in any content that is monetized mm-hmm. at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future.